Psalm 119. We come to verse 161 down to 168. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, is how David commences this section of this great psalm. The 21st Hebrew letter is Shin. Your Bible may show the Hebrew character, or it may just have the name of the letter itself, Shin. But the letter looks like three prongs, or three fingers pointing upwards like three flames. Now there are a lot of twists on the meaning of the name of the letter. It seems to depict teeth. The word teeth does not occur in this this section or indeed in this psalm. It does however occur in other psalms. Most often in referring to the wicked. Teeth devour and consume. You can imagine how fearful the teeth of a wild beast would be. We've heard lately of how that poor lady was killed by a pack of dogs. It was their teeth that did that. And her life was taken from her and she was transported into the realm of death because of the teeth the dogs and the devil is a roaring lion and he is not without teeth as I said very often the psalmist prays about the teeth of the wicked with hypocritical mockers and feasts they gnashed upon me with their teeth my soul is among lions David says the saviour could say the same I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows. You know how devastating spears and arrows are. The teeth of the wicked are like that. Their tongue a sharp sword. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the lions. O Lord. Now teeth, of course, are white, powerful, prominent, crushing, breaking, devouring, transforming materials that it takes hold of as it grinds those materials. As the Bible calls the teeth grinders. They're grinders. And they consume. And with us teeth are for eating. And are identified with eating. And are also identified with speaking in the Bible. We eat and break down our food. For our health and strength. And we speak. And when we speak we can transform men. We can change men. We can change men to the better. If our speech is good. And of course, if our speech is wicked, we can transform men to the worst. This grinding, transforming process that teeth carry out. All of this is contained in this this letter, shin, this idea. 
We're not surprised then that the letter is prominent in some of the divine names. The Almighty God. It particularly is prominent as the first letter in the word Shekinah. We talk about the Shekinah glory, the glory of God in the tabernacle in the most holy place, the Shekinah. Our God is a consuming fire. A consuming glory. A transforming glory. And as we saw on on Wednesday night uh, in, in his people, it transforms them to righteousness and to glory. But in sinners, it transforms them to destruction and consumption in everlasting judgment. So the letter is something powerful. Transforming, consuming. With those thoughts in mind, then let us, with the time remaining, try to quickly work through this section and point out some things. Particularly the words that commence each line with this letter, Shin. Princes have persecuted me, David says, without a cause. Princes is the word that begins with Shin. Princes are powerful. Princes are mighty. Princes are prominent like two front teeth in a a society, in a body. They stand out. They're at the front and to the fore. And he commences this word in the plural. Princes have persecuted me. Now princes ought not to do that of course. Princes ought to be like the Lord. Princes ought to be judges and rulers. Who ought to reflect the divine glory. And the holy judge of all the earth. That's what princes are meant to be like. And they're meant to consume the wicked and the sinners out of the land. To judge righteously and to protect the righteous and the innocent. And consume the evildoers. But sadly, David finds other ways. Princes have persecuted me. Without a just cause. Now he's referring no doubt to Saul. And Saul's nobles. And also perhaps to the Philistine princes. These all sought to devour David in the past. And it is a fact that most of the most powerful and noble of this world. Are used by the devourer Satan. To persecute the righteous. So we are not shocked. That the world goes in a direction that leads to the persecution of the just and the righteous. That is how the Lord Jesus Christ found it. Did he not say the prince of this world cometh? He doesn't plan good. He is destructive. He is Apollyon. He is destroyer and devourer. He is the one who raises up Herod the Great. He is the one who raises up the son of Herod. He is the one who gives Pilate his seat. And all the leaders and all the princes of Israel, they persecute the Lord Messiah. So that our text this morning is especially true of Jesus Christ, 
Princes have persecuted me without a cause. In John 15 we read, This cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So how much our Lord had to withstand the teeth of the wicked? The teeth of the rulers, the teeth of the princes, the teeth of the governors, the teeth of the king. The four gospels make us very much aware of all of this persecution. And the mystical body of Christ will experience the same. Princes will persecute us. Notice the second part of the verse. But my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Their persecution, you see, may destroy the body. It may kill the body. It may hurt physically and mentally the body. But with Christ, it never affected his holiness of heart. We consider these as the words of Christ. Princes have persecuted me, but my heart is always standing in awe of your word. The prince of this world cometh, he hath nothing in me. My heart standeth in awe of your word. This is Christ. He didn't sin when he was persecuted by the princes. It's not always true of saints, however. The child of God has to stand against the wiles of the devil, lest we sin and fall. The only way that devouring words can be prevented from crushing and ruining us and destroying our heart and grinding it to make it like unto the heart of the wicked, the only way to defend ourselves, is to stand in awe of the word of God. That's our defense, our only defense. That's what David does. That's what he's saying here. So David here is saying, I I fear you, Lord, more than the princes. I fear your word more than the teeth of the wicked. He fears more what comes out of God's mouth His word, what comes through God's teeth, he fears that more than he fears what comes through the teeth of princes. The fear of God is the foundation of wisdom. And it is our first and foremost defense against Satan. Fear of God. Did not our Savior say, Fear not them who kill the body. Even should they be princes or whoever, don't fear them who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him. The prince of all, the prince of princes, the prince of life himself, fear him who is able to destroy, to consume both soul and body in hell. So the fear of the Lord is a sure and certain defense against the teeth of princes. Fearing God is known by having awe at his word. I mean those who say they fear God and they don't have any place for the word and they don't give any reverence to the word, any regard to the word, they, they don't fear God at all. 
Because the fear of God can only be known if you stand in awe of his word. And to this man God looks, who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembleth at my word. Such a man is David. Such a man was our dear Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Of course, David doesn't only fear and stand in awe of God's word. Verse 162 tells us he rejoices in it too. For he says, I rejoice in thy word. Uh, The fact that I stand in awe of your word doesn't mean that I dread it and fear it and I'm terrified of it. No, he says, I rejoice at it. So it's not a slavish fear, a slavish dread, but a reverence of great delight. Trembling at the word still allows for delighting in it. Now the first word that begins with shin is rejoice. Rejoicing is known by our smiling. And in our smiling the teeth will become prominent in our smiling. The teeth can be seen and the gladness of the countenance is revealed. And it's a very powerful thing, joy and gladness. Very transforming in others' lives when they see it in you. It can consume away the sins and the discouragements of all your brethren. If they see that transforming joy in your life. David gives a picture here of his delight that he has in the word. He rejoices at it as one that findeth great spoil. Now he carefully chooses his words here, you know. The word spoil begins with shin. The word spoil, of course, is the booty. It may be valuables, but most often it's food. And the word is used here to describe the prey. The prey that the beasts devour. The prey that the the teeth get hold of and consume. And David says, your word is like that to me, Lord. It's like prey. I rejoice in it as prey. And he consumes it with joy and delight. The wicked, they would have the people of God as prey. They would consume us as prey. Satan would have the Christian as booty to consume, to devour. If the wicked would like to get their teeth into the worthy people of God, the people of God, they just want to get their teeth into the word. They don't want to get their teeth back into the wicked. They don't want to be like the wicked. They want to get their teeth into the word. And so they rejoice at the word as great prey to devour. And that devouring is transforming like food coming into the body. And the word devoured is like minerals and vitamins, spiritual minerals and vitamins coming into the soul, transforming the very soul itself. So David doesn't want to be filled with bitterness, but he wants to be filled with grace. And so he has to feed on the word, not on the wicked. There's so many saints that feed on the wicked. David's not going to go down that avenue. The word is his prey. For his teeth to get into. To devour. 
you are to devour the Bible, child of God. This is another defense against the attack of the wicked. First, to fear God. Secondly, to feed on the word of God. So don't allow the various attacks of hell to so discourage you that you cease from the word. No, continue in it. Continue to come to it. And only that will make you strong. God's word is like food. And if it is joyfully devoured, it will transform you internally. So let us not bite and devour one another. For we shall only consume one another. But rather let us bite and devour the word of God. And it shall transform us into the likeness of Christ. Verse 163 tells us. In our warfare against the devourer Satan. We are to maintain a love-hate relationship. We should not be all hate, of course, nor should we be all only love. Verse 163, I hate and abhor lying, but I love thy law. Now the verse is interestingly arranged. The first two words, in actual fact, begin with this letter shin, lying and hate. Lying, I do hate. So on the one hand we have lying, the devil's lies, the prince's persecuting lies, the lies of wolves and sheep's clothing, man's lies, errors and heresies, everything contrary to the law of God, everything contrary to the word of God, everything contrary to truth, falsehood and error, that which comes through the teeth of Satan, that which comes through the teeth of the wicked. I hate. On the other hand, God's law, he loves. We are to hate the lie, but to love the divine law. That is our only defense against the error of Satan. To fear God, to feed on the word, but to have this balance of hate, love, hearing the error, hearing the wickedness, and loving the, law, the Lord's word and the righteousness. We cannot pussyfoot with deceit. We cannot compromise with it. We cannot welcome it or any of its errors into the church. To love God's word is to hate the contrary. It's but impossible that there is true love to God's law that there cannot but be hatred to that which is opposed to it. So the Saviour hated error as well as loved the truth. And so must we. Do you remember how he said, Thou hast some of them who hold the doctrine of the, the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. That error, that heresy, that falsehood. You can't welcome it and you can't shake hands with it. You have to hate it. So it has to be not only hated, but strongly hated. For what does the text say? It says, line I hate and abhor. Abominate. And so he doesn't pussyfoot with error. He repudiates it and shuns it. There is another weapon in the armory of the saints against the devouring teeth of the wicked one. 
Verse 164. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. He's thinking of the righteous judgments. I'm praising God seven times a day. Now this, this may be singing, but I, I think it is rather prayer. Prayer that contains the element of praise. He praises when he prays and he prays when he praises Praise glorifies God, you know, but it also does the saint good. And it's a very important defense against the teeth of the wicked. It helps us to be strong in the Lord. This is the proper use of our teeth, to praise God. With the teeth, the wicked persecute the saints. But let our teeth, brethren and sisters, not bite back with vengeance. That's not our place. But let us rather praise God who renders righteous judgments. It's our place to praise God and to look to him as avenger. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. He will devour the sinners. We must not We rather praise him who does this. And so when we find ourselves devoured by the devouring teeth of those who the devil uses, we often get ourselves down and discouraged, don't we? Even depressed. We might even sin. But we want to battle this. We want to battle this depression. We want to battle this consumption that comes upon our soul whenever we are at the hands of the wicked. And the only way that we can battle this depression that arises out of this realm of being mishandled by the wicked, the only way is praise. And so it's God's to judge, but it's ours to praise. And praise helps us as well as glorifies God. Counting blessings And thanking God for them will be a means of relief. That David does this seven times a day shows how important this is. It also shows that he is disciplined and dedicated about this very matter. He was constant and continuous in it. And never in this warfare can the saints cease this business of giving God thanks and praise. And yet how easy it is to be filled with self-pity and never praise God at all and just be all wrapped up in our heart. Mr. Spurgeon put it well, do we praise seven times God seven times a day or do we even praise him once in a week? The word shalom commences with the letter shin. It occurs in the verse 165. Great peace have they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Not even the biting, devouring teeth of cruel princes. Abundant shalom have they that love thy law. There's nothing more valuable in the warfare against the devourer of souls than peace. 
God's peace. Which I tell you Satan wants much to disturb. And he will use every weapon in his arsenal to do so. As we daily discover. We are attacked. And whenever we are attacked we are naturally agitated. We stumble and fall. We are restless and faint. We are disturbed. Even angry. And we get out of sorts. And we're more likely to be the devil's tool than the Lord's tool in such a state. We need God's peace. God's shalom. That transforming peace of God. That devours all our sins. That devours all our agitation. That devours everything that disturbs our rest. Seven times a day I have to do that. Praise him and the great peace following that. That love your law. We need God's peace. And it comes out of praise. And is identified with praise. And the love of the word. And so the Bible tells us we're to be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? Praise? Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God. The shalom. The abundant shalom which passeth all understanding shall keep shall guard your heart through Christ Jesus in the midst of the assault of hell so it's peace that keeps it's an important weapon keeping our minds and hearts there is another fruit of loving and devouring God's word then here seen peace that's part of the nourishment that we get from God's word you know it's the word that gives you peace it's the word that calms you down. It's the word that makes you tranquil if you love it. It's the best thing of all. We cannot feed on bitterness, people of God. Which is what the world wants to do to us. It wants to bite and devour us so that we will bite and devour as well. And have all the bitterness and soul that they possess. No, the child of God must not feed on bitterness. But he must feed on the word of God. And you can't do that if you don't love it. Peace I leave with you, the Saviour said. Peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These things I have spoken, let my peace might be in you. In the world you'll have tribulation, you'll have persecuting princes, but be of good cheer. I've overcome all of that and I've spoken these words that you might have peace. 
And so we're not going to find peace in, in this and that and the other and running about this and that and being active and all of the other. It's only as we come to the word and before the face of God sense his presence speaking through the word. So the answer to persecuting princes so as not to be subject to the turmoil that they bring to the heart. The answer to that is to look to the Prince of Peace who upholds you and sustains you as you look to and love his word. Verse 166, if we move on here, we have the reminder here of the basics in the Christian pilgrimage. The Lord. There's nothing without him. The Lord. Thus the name occurs. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation. And done thy commandments. This is the basic of Christian living. Trust and obey. Trust in Christ for his salvation. I've hoped in thy salvation. I've hoped for it. Rested in the Redeemer. With assurance ever looking for the blessed hope. Not taking your eyes off the Saviour. Not forgetting the one thing needful that you have in Christ. This great salvation. I've hoped in that. That's all that I need. That's all that I should focus on. That's all that I should be concerned about in the midst of this attack. That I have thy salvation. So you can't take your eyes off the Lord and and you have this blessed hope. The battle will one day end. The course will be run and over. The pilgrimage will cease. The persecution will cease. The devourer and his seed will be destroyed and consumed from us, the face of the earth. And the child of God can have this confidence of the salvation of God. So faith and assurance is here present. But it's not alone, you know, because while he says, I hope in thy salvation and I have assurance of it, he says also, and done thy commandments. So there's faith, but there's also works, isn't there? Faith alone saves, but true faith is never alone. No. It has the potential for works of godliness. So I've hoped, but I also do. Trust and obey. And the child of God has to do God's commandments. A course of obedience is is very vital to overcome the wicked one. This verse 166 describes the patience we are to have in the midst of the turmoil of the wicked. Very quickly then, the last two verses, we link them together. We can do this because the psalmist begins both verses with the same verb. It's the verb to keep. It begins with the letter shin. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Verse 168, kept have I thy precepts and thy testimonies. Now we know that teeth can be used to keep, to keep in, to keep out. They act like a gate, don't they? We keep a watch on our mouth, and we are to keep within us God's word. 
and we are to keep out all lying and error and contrary falsehood. We are to lay it deeply into our hearts. We are to grit our teeth to prevent it being plucked away by the devilish fiends that surround us. Keeping them as something that we exceedingly love. Because what does the psalmist say here? My soul hath kept thy testimonies, for I love them exceedingly. He keeps them because he loves them, and they keep him too in peace and contentment in his heart. He doesn't want to lose that, so he grits his teeth and keeps it in this abundant shalom that accompanies the word. Three times in this room he uses the word love. That is prominent. The word hate is only used once. He's not a man dominated by hatred, controlled by hatred. He's not a man in whom hatred is the main thing, but rather he is a man in whom love dominates. Love controls. Three times he loves He has a love for the Father. He has a love for the Son. He has a love for the Holy Spirit. And he has a love for the Word of that triune God. He is saturated with love for the Word. And for the Lord. You can see then that all divine words and divine persecution of Satan and the divine attack of hell has not dented his walk with God. And this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But how many Christians can say this? How many in persecution have fled the conflict? How many have been, by devouring words, driven from the church? How many, by devouring words, have been driven from the word and even driven from the Lord? How many have been driven to lose their love for the Lord because it has been replaced with bitterness and self-pity. Did not our Lord warn us of this? Did he not tell us of those that have faith that has no root but endures merely for a time? Afterward, when affliction our persecution arises for the word's sake immediately. Immediately they are offended. And they fall and they stumble and they get out of sorts and off they go. That's not David. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing offends them but those who have no root in themselves having no root in the word, they are immediately offended in the attack of hell. And off they go. We have need then to seek God's grace, people of God, to put on the whole armour of God against the devourer. And much of that armour is referred to in this section, as I have pointed out. Observe, lastly, the word with which David leaves this room at the end. 
All my ways are before thee. He's thinking about his ways. His own ways. All my ways are before thee. You know, David knows he's always before the Lord. David knows the Lord is always present. David knows the Lord sees all and knows all. And David leaves with this assurance, Lord, everything is before you, but especially my own ways. Now, he may mean a couple of things about this. It shows, uh, first of all, that David is not despairing of the persecution of the wicked, nor vengeful. He knows that the Lord sees, and he knows that the Lord is watching it all, and he's happy to leave it in God's hands, to leave it with the Lord. All, all this persecution, Lord, is before you. So you see it, I'm happy to leave it there, help me, but you see it. Lord, you see the heart, you see the trouble, you see the persecution, you know what I have to endure. That may be the thought, but I, I, I do not think so. I think that the real emphasis is upon his behavior. My ways. How I live. How I respond to this persecution of the wicked. How I behave. My ways. Let me put it this way. How did he come into the room? He nearly could have went down the road of self-pity. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. And we could have had a whole rumble here of self-pity and going down the road of their ways, their ways. But that's not what he does. He doesn't say, their ways are before you, Lord. He says, my ways are before you. I really need to be more concerned about my ways, Lord, than their ways. I'm not responsible for their ways. They persecute me without a cause. I'm not responsible for what, why they do that and that they do that. And I won't be judged that they do that. that that's, that's their concern. Their ways are before thee. But Lord, I'm concerned that my behavior is before thee. Just my own, Lord. And the greatest concern of all that we could ever have is my ways, my heart, my life. That is all before thee. To thee I must answer and give an account. And not to princes. Thou alone art the judge of all the earth. And every man must give account of himself to God. So David then doesn't come into this room to run down the word of his princes. He comes into this room to keep his own heart right with God. And to us then, as we close, brethren and sisters, the Lord is saying, take heed to thyself. You know, every workplace has inspectors. We have to have inspectors, don't we? And you know why? Because you tell people to do this and to do that and the other and you leave them to do it and it's not done. And people are careless. Sinners are careless. Human society knows that inspectors helps in this regard and people are far more careful when there are inspectors about. And brethren and sisters, we must remember in our life that as powerful as princes are, 
They are not our inspectors. God is our inspector. I am he which searcheth the heart and the reins. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Let us remember this then. And let us now leave this room with the firm conviction that every one of our ways are before God. Let us pray.